We were standing in a sea of metal studs and black shirts. Most of them bore the iconic Metallica logo. I was itchy all over. My face looked like it had been used as a dartboard. I felt like some sort of addict. The mosquitoes followed me wherever I went. Last year, when my husband and I had come to rural Costa Rica to teach with a study abroad program, we took every opportunity to experience the varying topography of the country. On one of those excursions, we ended up in Cartago, the original capital. We checked out the central market and found a karaoke bar. My husband, Drew, tried his hand at a ranchero song with little success. A punk kid at heart, he insisted we find a crusty place, somewhere that fans of fringe music felt at home, and as such, the universe answered. We stumbled upon a bar called La Reforma, a place we would later be strongly advised against visiting due to our skin tone and naivety about this new country. Though, that night, we made out okay, and even met some new friends. One of which was Ignacio, who went by the name Nacho, and had some familial ties to an infamous Escobar a few hundred miles south. He and his partner Jessica invited us back to their place to continue the party. We bonded over 90 sitcoms and sports, and discovered that Nacho just happened to be the singer of Whiplash, the number one Metallica tribute band in Costa Rica. Nearly a year later, after we sold our house and cars and all the little trinkets that we thought defined us, we were standing with Hesca on a wet San Jose side street, beneath a bright marquee bearing the name Whiplash. They were behind schedule but would take the stage soon. And while I waited and scratched at my many bites, I asked, Do Costa Ricans get bit this much? No, not really, Hesca said. Rather than respond, I scratched some more. Krista, it's because of your blood. Heska said. You've got that sweet gringo blood. House number one. The Italian-French connection. Or when our dogs stopped talking to us. There is one smoking area in the Miami airport. An open-air bar restaurant with vastly overpriced drinks and a lingering air of desperation and hurry. Across the glass table from me was a woman who split her time between houses in New York and the Virgin Islands. To have a cigarette, you were required to get a table. To get a table, you needed to order something. This woman declined the latter and just sat down with me. I think her name was Glenda. I was praying for Drew to come back from the bathroom. I go back and forth four or five times a year, she said. Her skin alternated between patches of leather and aged paper. Glenda was chain-smoking and had enough precious metal on her fingers and around her neck to bail out a bankrupt Midwestern city. She went on. I just can't seem to make up my mind. It's nice to have options, I offered. But it's such a hassle getting everything from one place to another. You're right. I'm so glad we didn't have to worry about that. What do you mean? Glenda asked. How are you getting around customs? We aren't, I said. We didn't ship anything. Just storing it here in the States? No, we don't have anything to store. Glenda stared at me as if I had just floated down from a UFO or risen from a casket. Her face twisted as if trying to make sense of what I was saying. Finally, she asked, how is that possible? In a little over a month, we had gotten rid of everything. We had a Kia Soul, a Jeep Wrangler, a house with a lovely view of the cemetery on the south side of Pittsburgh. Being English professors, 
we had around 2,000 books, with about 10% of those for reference and course planning, and the rest were for status. Being nerds, we had board games and action figures and memorabilia that spanned television, movies, sports, and every other fandom. Being wannabe hipsters, we had the world's heaviest iPod, roughly 3,000 vinyl records that had, at best, been played once or twice, but mostly collected dust and destroyed our backs when we moved. And then, like that, through estate and online sales, donations, and gifting to family and friends, we were left with two giant suitcases, two rescue Labradors, Roxy and Echo, and their special airline-approved travel crates. We left Pennsylvania in the night and stopped to see my parents in South Carolina. We gave them Krista's prized pots and pans, a knife set, and what little memories we felt deserved a place in their attic. My father, a 30-year Air Force veteran and retired commercial pilot, assured us that the dogs would be fine. Dogs fly every day, every hour, he said. My mother, despite our recent cancer diagnosis, told us we had to go, that getting out of the United States now was exactly what we needed. She said, now is the time. When we finally made it onto the tarmac in San Jose, we were beyond exhausted. We had driven through the night in a rented minivan, dropped off our dogs with a tearful goodbye that made all of the gruff dock workers point and stare, and were then squeezed into middle and aisle seats. We had met Elaine through some Facebook expat group, and she coordinated the insane process of getting the dogs to a different country. From vet visits to USDA-approved letters in both English and Spanish, to bags of food and funnels zip-tied to the plastic crates, it left our heads spinning. However, the process did give us something to focus on, a way of gauging our success. If the dogs made it, then so would we. Elaine arranged it so our dogs would arrive before us and clear customs just as we landed. That way, they wouldn't have to wait too long without us. But if you know anything about Costa Rica, there is a special way of moving through life. Tico time. A refreshing yet frustrating attitude where no one is in any rush to do anything any faster than they feel like. We desperately called and messaged Elaine, trying to figure out what was happening. Thankfully, she was on top of things and informed us that one of our dogs had cleared customs, but the other hadn't. Though no one was really sure if this meant that they were being refused entry or if things were, as they did, moving slowly. Elaine's assistant picked us up from the airport and drove us to the first of many short-term rentals, promising to return with the dogs when they were ready. Over the next hour, we received multiple photos of Echo, who had been cleared, still in her cage, with a look on her face that seemed to say, Who the hell are you? This meant that Roxy, the bigger of the two, was the holdup. She'd been refused passage on a few airlines because of her size, with Krista and I nervously joking that our dog was too fat to fly, and now our anxiety was telling us that she was too big to pass through customs. Wouldn't that be some shit? selling everything and making this crazy journey, only to be turned around because Roxy had snuck a few extra kibbles. Refusing to let our imaginations run wild, we instead focused on the short drive, punctuated by potholes and suicidal motorbikes. This first Airbnb was about five minutes from the airport, and owned by an Italian national named Ruggiero. He burst out of the house, a drink in his hand, and said, Wada! Yes, a now 30-year-old beer commercial reference. 
and it was glorious, yet not ironic. He would continue to say this throughout the next two days. The man had been living in San Jose for 20 years, and he was the type that when he greets you, he kisses you on both cheeks. He speaks in long, drawn-out sentences like a cinematic Italian-American character, like, Hello, I love you. And I don't think he has ever met someone who remains a stranger for very long. Outside of customs officials and persistent cab drivers, meeting Ruggiero was our first real conversation during our second, and now permanent, trip to Costa Rica. Bienvenue chez moi, Ruggiero said, hugging me, as if we had just reunited after years of knowing each other. His hair was gray and thinning, and his belly jutted out from an unbuttoned Tommy Bahama shirt. He was half drunk. He might have been wearing shoes. We soon learned that he tended to refer to himself in the third person. Ruggiero would have picked you up from the airport, mes nouveaux amis. A few days before, after booking his house, Ruggiero, strangely, began leaving voice messages in French. I had taken about ten years of French and still consider myself fairly proficient, but I could not, for the life of me, figure out what he was saying. And once we got to his house and met him, I figured out why. He had been taking French lessons and simply wanted someone to practice with. It was adorable. His house was much of the same, beautiful and strange, and quintessentially Costa Rican. From the street, most houses are hidden behind strong metal gates and barbed wire, but once inside, lush gardens and warm homes await. Ruggiero's ranch house sits behind a garage with sliding glass doors that open onto the kidney-shaped pool, various tropical flowers and trees, and a few benches and tables. Inside, a group of people were smoking, drinking wine and talking, pausing to wave at us as we drug our suitcases by the doors. Ruggiero's giant teddy bear of a Great Dane, Brownie, left that conversation and joined us for the tour. We would learn that Ruggiero always leaves his doors open, and that Brownie is used to wandering in and out of both houses, doing nothing but requesting some pets by leaning into you. On the other side of the courtyard was our space. It was very much the same layout as his own house, with a large open living area and comfortable beds and bathrooms in the back. After showing us around, bringing us already opened beers, and letting us know that his Wi-Fi was simply Ruggiero, and the password was also Ruggiero, the eponymous man invited us to hang out with a group of French people he had staying at his house. We politely declined, because we were still waiting for the girls to arrive, and honestly, we were way too anxious and exhausted to socialize. Our dogs were rescues. They were from the same litter and very sick and malnourished when we first brought them home. Now, after a solid five years of pampering, they were healthy, and at least one of them, Roxy, was too plump to fly on most airlines. She is the chill sister, rather laid back and aloof. Echo, the runt of the litter, is the opposite. Brave through chain-link fences and always vibrating under tables or in shower stalls during thunderstorms. But when Elaine's assistants finally arrived with both of the girls about an hour later, the tables had turned. While she was healthy and in one piece, Roxy had clearly been traumatized. Nobody had given her any water and she had peed all over her crate and was then forced to lay in it. She got out of the cage with a wild, crazed look in her eyes, like she was certain the sky would fall on her at any moment. She proceeded to lay on the kitchen floor with her back turned. She ignored us for another 12 hours. Echo, on the other hand, was thrilled to see us, and seemingly unfazed by the entire situation. They both ate a little food, 
and we all piled into one of the back bedrooms for a good night's sleep. We had all made it safely, and we were here on the first night of our adventure. The next day, we woke up early. We kept the dogs in the bedroom and walked down the street to get some food. We found a window, and I, trying out my youthful eastern Los Angeles Spanish, ordered two plastic bags of fruit juice and some patis, which are like Costa Rican empanadas, filled with your choice of meat, rice, cheese, beans, or any combination of those. We bought a bottle of rum at another store and some canned alcoholic drinks. We had only rented Ruggiero's back house for two days, and after the previous months of planning and moving, the last two days of soul-sucking travel, we were ready to kick back and rest up for the next 24 hours. And it was restful. For a bit. Even though it was the wet season and rained the entire time we were there, it was still warm and relaxing. During the brief intervals when the sun came out, we dipped our feet into the pool. And we napped and breathed in the humid air that we had been missing for ten months. Later that afternoon, after Ruggiero had woken up from a massive hangover, we heard him yelling for a dog to stop eating off of the counter. It was our girl, Echo. And she's the best thief. Because she looks so nice. Nobody ever suspects her. But when you're not looking, she's on her hind legs, vacuuming up everything on the counter at top speed. Ruggiero then invited himself into our house, Echo trotting behind him, with a plate of fresh focaccia bread. And by invited, I mean he just walked in, saying, What the? The bread was delicious. And following back on my usual awkward moment move, I held up the bottle we had just bought and asked, How about a shot? No way, Ruggiero said. That would kill me. Yet, he moved around the counter, nudged Krista out of the way, and retrieved three glasses. I poured, and Ruggiero insisted that he would only have one. We all had three. We got to know one another a little better, and we kept telling him that our dogs steal food, and that he needs to close his door if he didn't want that to happen again. Actually, we said this a few times throughout the trip, but we gave up and decided to let him figure it out on his own. He never did. Our old pal Carlos was on his way up from Tucurique to hang out with us that evening, and then drive us to Puerto Viejo the next day, the city we had initially thought would be our final destination in Costa Rica. Carlos is Costa Rican, and perhaps the best friend we have here. He's a few inches taller than my five foot three frame and looks quintessentially Tico, with dark skin, dark hair, and dark eyes. We had met him last year during our first trip to Puerto Viejo. He was our Uber driver. Drew, having at least one or two drinks in him, asked, in broken Spanish, Amigo, permiso fumar? With an excited nod and pulling one out from his own pack, our friendship began. Carlos blasted classic rock the entire trip, and what was most impressive was his ability to sing every single Queen song, despite speaking very little English. Our friendship to this day revolves around a phone translator app, but I think that makes everything a little funnier. And a little more interesting. After that first trip, we never lost touch. You can't really sing Queen with someone for four hours and not become friends with them. When Carlos arrived at Ruggiero's compound, we started celebrating our reunion. There was rum and beer, and Ruggiero invited himself over again, simply walking in with a cheese plate and some very hard foie gras. He had somehow acquired a very stinky blue cheese, which I would later discover is not that hard to find in larger Costa Rican cities, and some more delicious bread. The foie gras, however, 
rolled off the plate like a marble when Krista tried to cut into it, and I'm not sure it's supposed to do that. If you know anything about Drew, you'll know that his nickname is the Mayor of Rally City. He can get anyone into a mood to celebrate, and that's exactly what he did. The party began in earnest mid-afternoon, and after the sun had completely disappeared, we wound up next door in Ruggiero's lair. There was a drum set in his kitchen instead of a table, and we all stood around drinking more rum and Imperial, the national beer. There was a cloud of smoke hanging like smog. Ruggiero's girlfriend was there, as well, a young Tika who was no more than 20 years old. She was very shy, and her communication with Ruggiero appeared to function purely on a physical level. Our host had also invited friends over. One was a thin French-Canadian woman who had been living in Costa Rica for 12 years. After conversations with Ruggiero, I was excited about the French language again, which was not how I expected my first few days in a Spanish-speaking country to play out. But this woman did not share my enthusiasm. Setting down her wine glass, she rubbed her temples as if nursing a headache and said, Please, dear, just speak English so I can understand you better. You got it, I said, feeling eerily similar to my experience trying out my French in Paris about 15 years ago. Not good enough. There was another man who had immigrated to Canada from Iran and yet was now living in Costa Rica. He was very interested in speaking to us about American politics and all of the problems there, such as health care, guns, women's rights, racism, and more. And no matter how hard I tried to convince him that I agreed with what he was saying, there was still a disdainful air of how we, the Americans, will never understand the true problems of America. And yet, here we were, new expats, trying to find a better way of living. Krista escaped the conversation by mentioning the drum set. Hearing this, Ruggiero dropped his partner's hand, pushed his cigarette into a beer bottle that was probably still being sipped from, and took Krista by the arm. He adjusted the small stool beneath her and somehow made even that action sexual. Ruggiero? Krista said. I don't know how to play. It is okay. It is all perfectly fine. You don't need to know how to. He put sticks in each of her hands. You only need to feel. But I had literally have no idea what I'm doing. In that moment, I had a feeling that my wife was speaking about more than just the drum set. Trust Ruggiero, our host said, while flipping through cable music stations on the TV. He settled on reggaeton and sat back to watch. I was too busy taking pictures of Krista behind the drum kit to help her. She tapped the snare a few times and kept time, for a bit. At some point, over the erratic drumming and reggaeton, I heard Ruggiero yell once again, Wada! I don't think I've ever seen my wife's face more red. I despise being the center of attention, especially when I'm in the process of doing something potentially embarrassing. So when Ruggiero's attention was diverted to another bubble of chaos in the living room, I made my escape. At this point, the woman who shunned my French tongue was no longer talking. To anyone. Instead, she was grinding her body against a very rigid Carlos and purring in his ear. Despite the language barrier, our friend wore a universal facial expression that screamed for help. In order to peel the French woman off of him, I started swaying casually next to them, and Carlos took that as a way to invite me into the conversation. The French woman, who, by the way, had been talking about her husband off and on throughout the night, looked horrified and offended at the interruption. "'Honey, we need to help you with your dancing,' she said. 
like this. She proceeded to dance very much like I already was, but with much more skirt-waving and hip-shaking. Being the polite Midwesterner I am, I copied her as best I could with a huge, fake smile on my face. And Carlos was laughing at me. Ruggiero pushed us together, and he then took two Polaroid pictures, a tradition he insisted was done with all of his Airbnb guests. Then he drug us into his garage and showed us the collage wall. Folks from every walk of life were in varying states of undress or levels of intoxication, and they were flashing smiles and random hand gestures. There were groups of friends, couples, solo travelers with Ruggiero draped over them, and while some of them felt a bit forced, the majority of the photos, everyone looked genuinely happy. Ruggiero needs you on the map, our host said. Somehow, between lugging our suitcases in and getting the dogs through the area, we missed the giant multicolored bulletin board next to the split-open punching bag. Hundreds of pins stuck out, showing where all of his guests had visited from. Having been a military kid and restless ever since leaving the comfort of my small blood family, I have no idea where home is. Hence, a move to a Central American country. So I deferred to Krista. Although she doesn't really consider herself a Wisconsinite anymore, we put a pin on the blue mitten because that's the longest she's lived anywhere. Suddenly, somewhere in my stomach, the rum and beer had moved aside and I realized I hadn't eaten dinner. Ruggiero and his true Italian self insisted on ordering us, quote, the best prosciutto pizza in Costa Rica. And then here, things became a bit hazy for me. The party went on. I watched Drew do the drunk dude thing, which is the same in any language, wrapping arms around both Carlos the Tico and Ruggiero the Italian, and insisted they love each other dearly. I watched them smoke and slap hands. The pizza arrived, large, with thin slices of parmesan and prosciutto over a robust tomato sauce, topped with some kind of spring lettuce and drizzled in olive oil. It tasted more like a salad than a pizza, but was just as satisfying on an empty, roiling stomach. Somewhere between bites, I realized Drew had ghosted the party and was probably asleep back in our house, so I decided to bail as well. Rogero presented me with two parting gifts. One was the Polaroid picture of Drew and me, and the other was a DVD, not in a case, of the 2019 Bohemian Rhapsody movie. As I was leaving, the French woman called, Make sure to pay Ruggiero. He never forgets when someone owes him money. Carlos, who was staying in the extra bedroom in our house, arrived a few minutes after me and laughed while watching me try to wake a comatose Drew from the couch and take him to bed. The next morning, after multiple pots of coffee, more empanadas, and a trip to the ATM, we were packed up and ready to pile into Carlos's rented SUV. Our dogs eyed us suspiciously, as if they wondered whether we were going to put them back into a loud metal tube. I walked into Ruggiero's wide-open house, stuck some rumpled colones for the pizza on the refrigerator. From somewhere deeper in the house, I heard our host croon, Drew, Ruggiero loves you! In the garage, when we passed the wall of photos again, I felt a little boost. Since his place was so close to the airport, most of those faces were either beginning or ending their journey in Costa Rica. They had all come before us. So maybe this wasn't so crazy after all. 
We didn't realize how small Carlos's SUV would be, so we ended up having to use the dog's leashes as ropes and tie their cages to the top of the car. I was really impressed by how resourceful Drew and Carlos were in that moment, and I had a wave of anxiety realizing how much more resourceful we would all have to be in the following weeks. After calling back to Ruggiero that we, too, loved him, we got on the road. Drew and me, Carlos, and our two grumbling Labradors... We were bound for Puerto Viejo, a little drug and mosquito-filled village on the Caribbean coast. The journey had officially begun. But before we finish up, here's a few things we've learned so far. It's a little segment we want to call Expert advice from amateur expats. Number one, if you plan to move to a foreign country with your dog, there's a strong possibility that they will give you the silent treatment for way longer than you are comfortable. Number two, say, what up? It really does make you feel better. Number three, check your beer for cigarette butts before taking a sip. Four, music is a universal language. Just sing along and make friends. Number five, don't be scared of juice that's twisted up in Ziploc bags. It's delicious and probably way less harmful for you than those questionable jello shots you used to take in college. And number six, even if you don't know how, play the drums. Thanks for listening. Please like and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Join us next time when we arrive at a house way, way worse than advertised, and hear how I got more mosquito bites in one night than I'd had in my entire life. And how I discovered I might just be too big for this country. This is Krista and Drew signing off from somewhere in Costa Rica.